would have been so terrible if I'd have had a small portion. We showed this clip because it's part of the message, but also to let the little children know what movies were like 40 years ago. <laughs> so kids, have your parents, first of all, get the Jesus film, show that to you. That'll be for eternity, uh, but for three hours of entertainment and something to talk about as a family. Brent Fiddler on the roof. Children, you're excused, you're dismissed uh, to join those who would share the word of God with you. So Tevye, this lame horse, did he have to get lame just before the Sabbath? I understand why you pick on me, but why pick on my horse? I have five daughters, a life of poverty. Hear us, O Lord, and we will be healed. In other words, send us the cure. We have the sickness already. And implied is he has somehow read the book of Proverbs and knows what a contentious woman is, and it's like the drip, drip, drip on a rainy day. It's a wonderful movie. It's one of my favorites. It deals with life, deals with problems, deals with issues, deals with family, deals with heartache. Hear us, O Lord, and we will be healed. We understand you have many, many poor people. And it's no shame to be poor. But on the other hand, it's no great honor either. Tevye's answer, I think, is twofold. One, make Golda disappear, or at least be nicer to me. And secondly, if I had just a small portion, just a small fortune, I would have all my problems relieved. How many times do we think, if he would just get a job, if she would just stop nagging, if this disease would disappear if I could have that small fortune or even enough money that I wouldn't have to worry about retirement. But the answer is not in any of those things. The answer is not in a small fortune or a large one. Makes no difference. The answer is in Jesus Christ. You will have trials, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, says Jesus. The reaction to trials is the most important thing as we face them. I just heard last week, I don't, somehow Chuck Swindoll was on at just the 10 minutes that I was in the car, and he related to a study that was from Harvard Business Review talking about executives who were successful. And he said, what is the number one thing? Well, I thought I knew what the number one thing for those executives would be, and that would be that they cared about their people. According to the Harvard Business Review, it was that they could pivot in a time of tragedy. When things happen and the CEO can turn the direction of the company, it makes a difference between success and failure. The truth that we have here is about pivoting, of dealing with trials of the reality of those trials and our reaction to them. The truth number one we see in verse 1, James chapter 1. Trials happen. James, 
a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, when you get to the end of the movie, Tevye is dispersed. He has to leave his little town of Anatevka, has to sell everything in three days, and so do all the other Jews. It's a bondservant, a servant of God. James doesn't give his credentials, doesn't state the fact, I believe, that, and, that he is the half-brother of Jesus, who came to know Jesus after the resurrection. He doesn't state any of that. He just says, I'm a person who voluntarily committed his life to serving God, to serving Jesus Christ. I did it because I desired to have my life count a bondservant of Jesus Christ, of God and of Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, the book of Acts tells about the first martyrdom in Acts chapter 11 with Stephen being martyred for his faith. And Saul witnessed it. He took care of the coats of those who threw the stones. And Paul knew what persecution was personally. The Tsars of Russia persecuted the Jewish people. Stalin, I think, killed more Jews than Hitler. Today, we turn on the TV and we see the Middle East crisis and we see the persecution of Jews that goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. And it continues. Maybe not in the same way the Jews feel, but we will have trials. They'll be financial. They'll be family. They'll be sickness. They'll be failure. They'll be the future. Truth number one is that trials happen. Truth number two is that trials have purpose. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect. You be perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, those of you who have been in church for a while have heard pastors talk about the Greek language and the, that English says this, but you know the Greek really means this. Or we have endured, sometimes, the repetition of the Greek words for love. And that we have one word for love. I love Jesus. I love Marillat Cabinets. I love my wife. I love Lake Geneva. I love the snow. I love, this, I love the beautiful weather outside. But the Greek says agape, godly love. It says phileo, brotherly love. It says sorge, it says or eros. And then we get to this text. And the word is perisomai. And it means trials. Perisomai means temptation. Same word. Same word. Perisomai equals trials. Perisomai equals temptations. It's the same word. Sometimes it's a trial from God. Sometimes it's a temptation from Satan. And sometimes we don't have a clue where it's coming from. But we experience it. 
personal trials. About six, eight weeks ago, six or eight weeks ago, Pastor Chuck approached me and said, I'm going to be in Tennessee. Would you preach the weekend of the 7th and 8th of November? I said, let me get back to you. Give me a couple of days. And so I thought about this. And there's some people sitting over on the side here who, over in the choir room at 9 o'clock, listen to me teach the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation isn't easy for me. And I refuse to go to see what somebody else said so I can repeat what somebody else said. So I spend a lot more time in Revelation than I do the thoughts about Revelation. And it's a labor of love. But it takes time. I'm usually about three, four weeks ahead of myself because I've got to let this stuff ruminate for a long time. And it takes time. So I, 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 can't, I just can't. I've got to spend my time studying that. Besides, I've got people to visit, and I've got this and that. And, that. and you know what? November 7th and 8th. Now, I live about a mile from here. God's given us a beautiful home, acre of land, probably a half a dozen oak trees and like number of maple trees. And I love where we live except for the October 15 to November 15 when bazillions of leaves fall on my ground and they have to be taken up. Nobody, now Chuck said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and he taketh away the leaves off of his land. It doesn't happen for me. I get my neighbor's. Comes over. I, I get woods in the back, which we love. And they, come, they don't all just fall straight down. Some of them come north under my lot. And I've got to rake them up. I've got to rake them up and study at the same time. I can't do that. Okay, Chuck, yeah, I'm willing. I'd love to give. I'd love to preach that Sunday. Be great. What do you want me to preach on? Noah's series he's been going through. I said, what are you going to do in the future? And he said, probably something on Thanksgiving or, or uh, Advent. I'm not sure yet. Okay, I probably would avoid those anyhow because it's not quite the season. So I'm okay. You got 66 books to choose from. Take your pick. All right. I come home and I said, Bonnie, I've decided I'm going to preach that Sunday. And she says, great, what are you going to preach on? I don't know. I've been thinking... Maybe the Gospels, thinking about the book of Luke. And she said, why? If any of you have children who just went downstairs, you've learned to hate that word, why? <laughs> it's a tough word, isn't it? Why? So I went back to my Bible. I went back to God. And I came back a couple of days later. I said, God has directed me. Partially through the words of a very wise professor 40 years ago who said, if you preach to the hurting, you'll never lack an audience. Profound statement, because we all hurt. We all hurt in some way, shape, or form. And if you don't have it as as we were reminded just a couple of minutes ago by Joey, it's coming, or it just finished. Life is filled with trials. Okay? I'm going to teach the book of James, chapter 1. 
I think of my life, and in many ways, the worst thing in my life was a three-putt across the street at Geneva National. Now, Dick Carlson, you've been with me, and I've had more than one three-putt and some four and some five-putts, too. Life has been good. God's blessed us financially. Wasn't always a pastor. He's allowed me to store some things away. We live in a nice home. We've been able to vacation. We've been to Europe. We've been to the Middle East. We've been to the Far East. We've raised eight children, a lot of trauma. But it's over. Kids are almost launched. There's one that's still in college, but they're basically launched. Things are good. Last year, we went from February 22nd to the end of March in Hawaii. Life is good. I recommend it. Six weeks in Hawaii in the winter instead of Williams Bay, Wisconsin. I'll take Hawaii any day. And the plan is we'll be snowbirds. And we will leave after the leaves are raked up. And we'll go in November. And we'll come back for Christmas for a week. And then we'll go again and wait until all this stuff has melted. And then we get word that my granddaughter, who many of you have prayed for, and I thank you, my 11-year-old granddaughter, Kaylin, had strep throat. It wasn't diagnosed in time. It went to rheumatic fever, and it damaged her heart. So here we are saying we're not going to Florida until we know what's going on with Kaylin. 11 years old, loves Jesus, and sometime, probably this spring, she'll have heart surgery. And since we got back from Hawaii, Bonnie's been having some pains. And they've been increasing in her side. And increasing. To the point she hasn't been to church for about a month. And she misses you people terribly. And she misses her friends that she sits with in Sunday school classes every Sunday. Thank you, Sarah. So I figured, well, she said, I probably picked up a parasite in Hawaii. You know, I go on and pick up stuff off the beach, and you don't know what you're going to pick up. That's uh, probably ulcers. And so we got some Maalox, and we finally went to the doctor, and they did an ultrasound, and got done with the ultrasound, and I said, well, are you pregnant? <laughs> no, her name isn't Sarah. She wasn't. Next step, do the GI thing, upper and lower. Still, no results. Next step, we'll schedule you for a, a CT scan because that will determine what it is. So I went around the desk, scheduled it. That was on a Thursday. Pardon me, it was on a Wednesday. Monday, we're going to have a CT scan. I cannot endure this pain any longer. Let's go to emergency. So there we had the CT scan on Wednesday. Pardon me. On Thursday, we had the CT scan. And I, being the knowledgeable individual who had had kidney stones, said, she's got a pain in her side. It's probably a kidney stone. Mark my words, doc. She's got a kidney stone. I bet he, you know, he loved hearing the diagnosis. He could have skipped medical school and just listened to me, right? 
About a half hour later, he came back in the room and very sensitively and very kindly said, I have terrible news. Your wife has kidney cancer and cancer in their lungs. It looks like it has metastasized. We can't tell for sure until the biopsies, but every indication is that's where it is. And took her in by ambulance to Janesville. I went home and I wailed. I wailed three times in my life. Once was about 15 years ago at O'Hare Field when my daughter Kathleen was going for two years to Kenya as a missionary. And as I saw her walk down that corridor in her long blonde hair, I wailed. You could have heard me in Lake Geneva from O'Hare Field. I never knew what wailing sounded like. I had read about it, I heard about it, but I finally experienced it now 15 years ago. Second time was about five years ago when my older, oldest brother passed away. And I was fine. The funeral was over. It was time for the family to get up, and I could not move. And I wailed at that casket. And the third time was a week ago Thursday when I went at home, and I wailed. Finally got to sleep. Got about five hours of sleep that night, five hours the next night. A lot of tears, Kleenex box sitting here. Monday, God broke through. He broke through in a marvelous way. And God and I agreed with Pastor Chuck. We're going to live. However many days or months or years God gives us, we are going to live. We're not going to be dead before we die. It's dumb to do so. How many people die when they're still walking around? We're not going to do that. God's given us the strength. We are going to live each day that God allows us to live. Live it with vigor. Live it in service for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Monday night. Tuesday, I did not bring Kleenex to bed. No Kleenex. None necessary. Have there been times? Sure. Will there be times again? Yes. But I'm not going to bed with a box of Kleenex at my side anymore. Consider it all joy. When you encounter various trials, I look at that. I didn't go to my Greek text because I forgot all that stuff a long time ago. But I went to all the things on Bible Gateway, and it's got like 40 different translations, and none of them were nice. Consider, count it, regard it, deem it. What? And then I finally figured it out. To consider it all joy is not that I'm saying, yippee, it's Christmas and my wife has cancer. Hey, life is good. It's considerate joy. Don't live it. Don't act like it's joy. But just consider the future, that God is going to do this. Remember when I was a kid, 
Brian and I went to the same grade school. We were classmates for many years. When Brian and I played baseball, we didn't play, we weren't in the exact same neighborhood, but when Brian played baseball in his neighborhood, I played baseball in my neighborhood. I wasn't in Williams Bay, Tim. You learn to hit that ball straight in Chicago because the alleyways are about as wide as, as this section of the church. A garbage truck can get down there. Two cars can't very easily. And so you hit the ball straight. If you don't, it goes in somebody's yard, it breaks his window, and you run. That's the rule. <laughs> Once in a while, we go to the park. And in the park, you had all kinds of space. And in the park, you could hit it, and it would be between left field and center field. And it would be a pop-up fly. And some kid would say, I got it! But he didn't got it. The ball was still in the air. He doesn't have it yet. But he anticipated that he would have that ball in his glove. In November 2016, we will have a presidential election. Who is going to be the candidate on the Democratic side? I heard ha, 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 and I heard Hillary. <laughs> Hillary is the correct answer, by the way. Has she gotten the nomination from her party? No. She is the presumptive candidate. She is not the candidate. But if I, when I asked you who's the candidate, you told me. We know who it's going to be. We know God is faithful. We know, and we can consider this. I am so impressed as I read through the scriptures, things like Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Right? Did I misquote that? Yes, I did. First three words. For you know all things work together for good. We know it. Very often, you read the book of First and Second Peter, he's saying, I am reminding you. You already know these things. I'm reminding you. I'm not going to tell you much new from this pulpit. You won't be enthralled by my knowledge of the Greek language. You couldn't care less if I know Greek. By the way, I did well in a lot of other subjects, but not so much in Greek or Hebrew. We know these things. Consider these things, knowing that trials will build us. Knowing. We already know this, but we're being reminded that trials will build stamina. When I was 38 years old, I knew how to find a good spot on a couch. And I thought, is that, and I'm 38 years old. If I'm going to live to be 50, I probably shouldn't sit on this couch anymore. And so I got myself up, and I started to run. I was living in a church parsonage, went up the hill, turned right toward Orchard Lake School. It was 
about a half a mile away to Orchard Lake School. I had gotten about an eighth of a mile, and my friend and neighbor and member of the church drove out of her subdivision, got to the intersection where my road was intersecting her subdivision. She's driving her Mercedes. She pushes a button. The window comes down, and she says, I don't believe it. Pushed the button again, the window went up, and she drove away. I thought, Wendy, you know me too well. Twelve years later, turning 50, and I decided, I'm going to run 10K. And I trained, and I trained, and I made no records, but I made it. And I finished the 10K on my 50th birthday. Five years later, 55, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to prove that this old guy at the age of 55 can make it 10K. This was interesting. And I started to run. And there were two people behind me, one in particular. From the first mile, he was... <gasps> I thought, oh boy, this poor guy's not going to make it. And I hear this behind me for the next three miles. Mile four, he passes me. <laughs> but I made it. He made it to the finish line. Before I did, I made it. 60th birthday. I was almost as old as Tim. I'm going to do it again. And I trained. I'd better overtrain. So I was doing 12K around the neighborhoods. I was okay. I was all primed. And then about a week before, I did something in my leg or my hip or my foot, and I couldn't run. I thought, okay, I could have done it. I didn't do it. And I didn't even try for my 65th. But I walk. Why did I do it? Because I know that it builds stamina. And it takes time. And you need those experiences in life to move forward. Trials have their purposes. Bonnie said to me, before we got the diagnosis, she said, you know, one of the things that this pain has done for me is it has given me the ability to empathize with people that I never could before. I was always compassionate, but now I can understand what people go through and they don't know what's wrong. And weeks ago, I asked for our Sunday school class to pray that we would find out what was wrong with body. I wish we hadn't found out. <laughs> can we empathize? Can we really care about people? And can we talk to God? Verses 5 and 6. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without reproach until it is given to him. But when he asks, let him ask in faith without any doubting for any who, who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And I got a call last week from one of our members who I've known most of my life. And she said, I've been talking to God, and it's not right that Bonnie's got cancer. She's too nice. Now, you didn't give me any names of people who should, but... <laughs> I would be one. We need her. I need her. This church needs her. And this church has got her. She's at home watching it on TV, the Internet thing. 
And this lady said to me, I'm so glad I have a God who I can talk to and say, I don't understand, I disagree, and he won't get mad at me. Isn't that wonderful? We can express our doubts. If anyone lacks wisdom, he can ask of God, and he'll give wisdom. Now, people tell me that tomatoes is a fruit, and that's knowledge. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. <laughs> Ask of God who will give without reproach. Other translations, without a second thought, without a rebuke, without criticism. Remember when we were in grade school and teachers would say, there are no dumb questions, ask away. I remember thinking, there's a dumb question. There's lots of dumb questions. About the time she'd say, you can ask a question, there are no dumb questions, some kid would ask some questions, and I'd think, that is a stupid question. That's why I was never a teacher. I'd probably tell a kid that's a dumb question. <laughs> Without a doubt, God will give us wisdom. Not necessarily answers, but wisdom to deal with things. If you doubt, you'll be like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, if I have not already impressed you with my ability with the Greek language, let me try Hawaiian. Ho'okipa. The Ho'okipa Beach is in the north shore of Maui. Wonderful spot. And there's a plateau above the beach, about 100 feet up, with parking spots, and people can stand for a long time watching these surfers go. Sometimes the surf is quiet, like that floor, just straight and flat. And these surfers just kind of sit out there, and they wait, and they look, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Other times, you'll get a 5-foot wave, a 10-foot wave, a 20-foot wave, and they'll have a ball. But they have no control over the surf, nor does the surf. It's up to the winds. It's up to the currents. They've got no control. God will give us wisdom. Truth number three, trials equalize. Verses 9 through 12. But let a brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like a flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in scorching wind, it withers the grass, and the flower falls off, and the beauty of his appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And I read verses 1 through 17, actually, but here through verse 12, and I come to the conclusion that James is ADD. He goes from greetings to you're going to have trials to the purpose of trials to now the rich man. Why don't you stick with the subject? So we preach about being rich and how bad that is or how good that is and the wealth and prosperity or, or God loves the poor. That's not saying that. Saying there are times in our lives it doesn't make any difference how much money we've got. The poor 
should glory in his high position. Now this is, this is poor. This is chapter 7 poor. This is chapter 11 poor. This is chapter 13 poor. This is Illinois pension plan, pension plan poor. This is the Greek economy poor. This is a kid flipping burgers trying to work his way through college poor. This is a kid in a Haitian shack poor or an Iranian refugee. The poor can relish in his high position. What's his high position? He can talk to God about the trials. He has an open doorway to God. And the rich man, I remember seeing a cartoon one time of a couple of people, Bibles under their arms, walking up to this mansion. People, man sitting in his easy chair, puffing on his, on his uh, pipe with a cocktail on his side. And the one evangelist to his trainee said, what's the good news we're going to have for him? Life is good, right? The good news is Jesus Christ, regardless what your financial situation is. The rich man, the Donald Trumps of this world, the people who live in the lake world, the pro-athletes world that they cannot, I can't fathom being able to spend that much money in their lives. And it's usually gone in three years. It's the rich man. The person who can travel the world with no problems. First class. Doesn't have to worry about life in retirement. The nest egg is there. That person, that rich person, in his humiliation. At three in the morning, when he wakes up, and he finds his teenage daughter isn't home yet. Or he learns that his son is strung out on drugs. Or he just lost his job. And he's 52 years old and where am I going to get another one? In that type of humiliation, he can turn to God. We want to run away sometimes. But in that humiliation, when we feel so helpless, there is God. And when you walk down the hospital, take your pick. You walk down those hallways, they all get their nightgowns from the same vendor. None of them are with a Nike swish on the side. None of them. They all look the same. Whether the guy drove there with a Mercedes or a Lamborghini or a Bentley or a bicycle, or he walked in, once you're in that hallway, it's all the same. Once you have cancer, it's all the same. Once your wife leaves you, it's all the same. Once your kid is rebellious, it's all the same. No matter how where we are, that humiliation brings us into that same position, empty before God, and we turn to him just like the poor man. Pain is an equalizer. Truth is an equalizer. Truth is that trials bring rewards. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres into trial, for once he is approved, he has received the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God does not, is, cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. <clears throat> 
But each one is tempted when he is lured in a way enticed by his own lust. And lust is conceived, brings forth birth, brings birth to sin. And sin, when it's accomplished, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits amongst all creations. Approval from God. Trials bring rewards. The first reward is approval from God in verse 12. The Lord has promised. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And you look in your margin, you say, well, where is the cross-reference to that? You don't see it. And so you pull out your concordance. Where is that again? You don't see it in the Gospels. So you go to Bible Gateway. Got to be there. It's not. This is one of those things that that John talks about in John 21 and said there are many other things that Jesus spoke and taught. And if it were not if it were written down, all of the volumes of the entire world could not hold it. It is something that Jesus said while on this earth that is not recorded in the Gospels. Not in Mark, not in Matthew, not in Luke, not in John. It's not there, but it's still true. I wonder if it's something that he said at home and James heard it. I don't know, and I'm not going to write a book about that. Only speculation. But the truth is, you'll only find this statement again in the book of Revelation. You won't find it in the Gospels. But God will give us many things. The Lord has promised. He has promised. If we persevere into trial, we will be approved. And be given a full life. John 10.10. You may have life, and you may have it abundantly. There's a man I knew, he's deceased now, pastor, who gave up a professional ball career, went to seminary, pastored churches, mostly in California. And he said, I've often said, you know, even if the stuff that I teach isn't true. I've still led people into a good life. And in some ways, I had to agree with Ben. Other times, and Ben would agree with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul. But now Christ is preached. He has been raised from the dead. How do some say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised, and Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because the witness against God that he has been raised in Christ whom he did not raise. In fact, the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins." 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of, most men, of all men most pitied. But now God, now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The balance is there. Paul the Apostle explains how terrible it would be if we were teaching something that were false and people were, were following it. And in fact, the Gospels warn teachers to be careful because the judgment is greater for those of us who are privileged to proclaim the word of God. Make sure it's true. But you know what? Like Tevye would say, you're also right. And you're right, and you're right, and you're right. And that's all right. Ben is right too. The life is wonderful following Jesus. And it's true. And this stuff about God giving us strength in difficult times, I stand before you saying, it's true. It's true. Where is our stability? There was a warning here that we shouldn't blame God that, like Tevye would do. We shouldn't give up like so many would do and die before they're dead. You've given him a lame horse, five daughters, a life of poverty, and soon he would be told he needs to leave his beloved home of Anatevka and go in his case, the United States. And bring Gola with him. Where is our hope? For Tevye, it was tradition. Is it tradition for you? And that I'll be in church every Sunday. But it's a tradition. It makes me feel good. But it's a tradition. No. It's the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes a difference. Our rock is not in tradition. Our rock is in Jesus. Samuel, 1 Samuel. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. 2 Samuel. For who is God besides the Lord? And the rock who is our rock besides the Lord. Psalm 18, for God, who is God but the Lord? And who is the rock except the Lord? The blessings from God, verses 17 and 18. He bestows every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth in the word of truth might be, as it were, the first fruits of all creation. The father of lights. Father of light, sun, moon, stars, yes. The father of light is salvation. The light of the gospel. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. I am the light of the world. The first fruits, the first of a kind, more coming. The first fruits, first century Christians, 21st century Christians. So trials come. 
And there are truths about those trials. Number one, trials happen. Number two, trials have purpose. Number three, trials equalize. And number four, trials bring rewards for the followers of Jesus Christ. Salvation in Christ, stability in Christ. So Thursday night, I bawled, I wailed. Friday night, didn't do much better. Saturday night, Sunday night, but Monday, no Kleenex. Because we're going to live each day while we're alive. I invite you to join me, not in the box of Kleenex, but join me in the following of our Lord Jesus Christ and to come to Christ. If you've just been here for years or you just wandered in the first time and saw, oh, this place has got some construction, maybe there's something going on, I invite you to follow the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Or if you were like I was when I was 18, 19 years old, and Christianity bored me, and I didn't live like what I really believed. Book of Peter talks about that. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten the purification of his sins. I invite you to join me, like I did when I was 21, and say, God, enough of this mess that I'm starting to create for myself. I want to follow you and not turn back and never, never regret it. As a result, an abundant life awaits us. And at the end, heaven waits. And there is no Kleenex in heaven.